0: Greetings and welcome to the Audio Tidbits Podcast Network. We hope you enjoy the show. I am sometimes tempted to gripe and complain because I am frustrated or someone does something that truly annoys me. At other times I feel like griping and complaining just because I am having a bad day or maybe I got up on the wrong side of the bed or something. The urge is to take out my bad mood on whoever happens to be around. I do know this is unfair to those around me and that I am being irrational to some extent. Even so snapping at someone or just being unpleasant is easier than behaving appropriately, behaving like a mature adult. Sure, I don't like myself much when I am this way and am pretty sure that no one else likes me much either right then. I try to contain the impulse and am usually successful but the urge is still there. Samuel Johnson advised, when any fit of gloominess, or perversion of mind, lays hold upon you, make it a rule not to publish it by complaints. It may not be necessary to take the concept as far as William Osler suggested, learn to accept in silence the minor aggravations, cultivate the gift of taciturnity, and consume your own smoke with an extra draft of hard work, so that those about you may not be annoyed with the dust and soot of your complaints. I think Robert Hugh Benson went a tad too far in the other direction, I think that the insane desire one has sometimes to bang and kick grumblers and peevish persons is a divine instinct. The truth is that W.S. Gilbert had a good point, oh, wouldn't the world seem dull and flat with nothing whatever to grumble at? Jane Wagner too had a valid point when she said, I personally believe we developed language because of our deep inner need to complain. I have found that complaining now and then is good for the spirit, if I don't overdo it. The challenge is knowing exactly how much to complain. I don't want to get carried away with consuming my own smoke with too many extra drafts of hard work or succumb to an insane desire to bang and kick rubblers. To avoid these extremes, I try to follow this simple rule. When someone complains about me and is justified in their complaint, I accumulate one complaint credit. I may then only complain when I have valid complaint credits in my account, one complained, one complaint credit. Naturally, the more perfect I am, the smaller my account and the less I can afford to complain. Yes, it does have something to do with glass houses and not throwing stones along with pots not calling kettles black. The reality is that griping and complaining seldom serve any constructive purpose beyond temporarily expelling my own aggravation and frustration. It rarely resolves problems, changes the behavior of others or eliminates whatever is irritating me. So what is the solution, how do I deal with those times when griping and complaining feel like the right choice? It is definitely easier said than done. I have two choices. I can calmly discuss the problem or issue with the person who can actually make the change I want or control whatever is annoying me. If they are willing to make the necessary changes or adjustments, all is well. If not, I am left with exploring my options to avoid the problem or situation that bothers me. My other choice is to simply keep my gripes and complaints to myself. Expressing them won't change anything and only reflects badly on me. I know. You have heard that before. I change what I can change, accept or avoid what I cannot change, and keep the rest of my opinions and reactions to myself. That is not the way you heard it? It's not the way I heard it either but is the way I have found that works best for me. Think it over and if this way might work for you, give it a try. If not, stick with what works best for you. Either way, see if you can cut back on griping and complaining, please.
1: Most people spend way too much time worrying about what other people think about them. That frequently results in some people overvaluing their abilities and importance. They worry that other people don't appreciate how competent they are, how important they really are. For other people, It works in the other direction. They worry that other people will see through them, will see what few skills and talents they actually have, how unimportant they truly are. I think you are totally terrific but certainly don't know how you see yourself, what you worry about, how important you think you are. The best I can do is to let you know how this worrying thing works for me. Do I worry about how others see me, what they think about me? If I give the perceptions of other people more than passing attention, and Miller had an observation worth taking to heart, we probably wouldn't worry about what people think of us if we could know how seldom they do. Be that as it may, Mignon McLaughlin knew how to deal with any low opinions that come my way, life marks us all down, so it's just as well that we start out by overpricing ourselves. Sonia Friedman was definitely on topic when she said, the way you treat yourself sets the standard for others. As W. C. Fields pointed out, It isn't what they call you, it's what you answer to. The famous Anand agreed, if you really put a small value upon yourself, rest assured that the world will not raise your price. Do I need more support before I take charge of my perceptions of me, of how I value me? If so, Andrew Carnegie has just the words I need. The man who acquires the ability to take full possession of his own mind may take possession of anything else to which he is justly entitled. As I take possession of that which is mine, I try to follow the lead of John Powell, a person can grow only as much as his horizon allows. If my horizon includes the notion everyone is progressing faster and farther than I am, I simply set my sights higher. When my horizon is high enough, it is mine alone, just waiting for my arrival. There is a hidden point of view in there that I want to pull out and share with you specifically. It is definitely true that some people are too full of themselves, too arrogant, too sure that they are always the smartest and most important person in the room. For other people the opposite is the case. They think they are not as smart, not as important as everyone else in the room. Either extreme is unfortunate for the individual as well as for everyone else. So where is the best position for me? Should I lean toward overvaluing my abilities and importance or toward undervaluing them, since my getting it just right is not very likely? You will need to decide this for yourself. But for me, I think it works best for me to have too much confidence in my ability than too little. Place too high a value on my importance than too little, set my expectations too high than not high enough. Since I will likely not get an exact match between my self-perception and the reality of my abilities and importance, I might as well err on the side of arrogance and excessive self-confidence. At the same time I must remember that my mother advised me to be careful not to get too big for my britches.
2: The famous Annan offers what frequently passes for good advice. Don't think you're on the right road just because it's a well-beaten path and most people are more comfortable with old problems than with new solutions. If you are holding back, or just another go along, don't ignore Dr. Sue's directive, be who you are and say what you feel, because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. John Locke was right when he said, new opinions are always suspected, and usually opposed, without any other reason but because they are not already common, you may want to keep the words of Herman Melville handy, it is better to fail in originality than to succeed in imitation, as Malcolm Muggeridge said. Only dead fish swim with the stream. Should you find yourself hassled over your views and opinions, you can quote Fritz Perls, I am not in this world to live up to other people's expectations nor do I feel that the world must live up to mine, know that Buddha counseled, believe nothing, no matter where you read it, or who said it, even if I have said it, unless it agrees with your own reason and your own common sense. Should you need a closer as you walk away, try this from Don and Alphonse Francois de Sada, my manner of thinking, so you say, cannot be approved. Do you suppose I care? A poor fool indeed is he who adopts a manner of thinking for others, My manner of thinking stems straight from my considered reflections, it holds with my existence, with the way I am made. It is not in my power to alter it, and were it, I'd not do so.